the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Jody Henke. Grain marketing is something that most producers say they need to improve on, but don't have a good understanding of it to take it any further. Our podcast today is hosted by Mike McGinnis, Successful Farming's marketing editor. He's talking with Al Kleiss, who is the managing director of Kleiss Commodity Advisors and also a monthly columnist on Successful Farming's Your Profit article. They discuss the markets, how they work, and how you can up your game. Al, we uh, appreciate you spending time with us today talking about grain marketing and some techniques that farmers can really learn from and learn about to be able to implement into their farming operation. Glad to be with you, Mike. I enjoy working with you. And uh, it seems like these podcasts and interviews always generate a lot of calls and questions. And I enjoy working with farmers. Let's talk first off about your experience. You've been at this for a number of years, number of decades, I should say, and uh, you've learned a lot. But give us a, and the listeners a feel for how you got into grain marketing, why you did, and what really attracted you to it. Yeah, certainly. I grew up in a family farm southwest Minnesota, kind of halfway between Worthington and Marshall, Minnesota. My two nephews still farm on that family land. I attended the University of Minnesota, degrees in economics and crop production, initially worked as a representative for the American Soybean Association. I attended a marketing seminar put on by Jim Gill down in central Illinois in August of 1975, and I walked out of that room saying, I'm going to start a business like that up in Minnesota. Uh, Jim Gill was a great mentor, very generous guy, very beneficial for years as he worked with me. I also, I met a guy that day that became my broker, Ken Poole, a uh, very interesting gentleman, very uh, chart-oriented. He taught me a lot about charting, trading, and money management. In 1975, I went back and hung up a shingle in Mankato, Minnesota, and I've been working at Icing Farmers and working with farmers since that time. I want to talk about your experience in the Minneapolis Grain Exchange on the floor trading and then how that experience is, has helped you. Because now, as most people know or maybe don't realize, but the trading on the floor is not really the way grain marketing happens. Some of it still does in Chicago, but for the most part, there are a lot of traders that used to be on the floor trading and now are doing it electronically. But give us your experience of trading on the floor and then now for a number of years working in a different fashion in grain marketing. Correct. I was a member of the Minneapolis Grain Exchange. I had the badge. I hung around the pit. I really did not ever trade that much in the pit. Very different mentality uh, in the pits. A lot of them seemed like were scalpers. They were buying 100 contracts of spring wheat, uh, making a half a cent or a cent and calling it a day. They created a very efficient market uh, between the bid and the ask, uh, but very short-term oriented. I learned to chart early on, so I was more of a trend follower, a chartist. I did learn a lot, and I certainly enjoyed the whole atmosphere of being at the Green Exchange and seeing how the order flow came in, the importance of placing orders, how it could look so bad, so negative some days when prices were down, and the exuberance of when prices went higher. I kind of learned to fade that at that time. So it was a beneficial, one of the many things that I learned. As you indicated, Mike, now over 99% of the trade is electronic, where you watch the orders go in, you instantly know where your fills are at, and it really has leveled the playing field for traders. You know, I'd like to have you comment real quick on the fact that 2021 will be five years when the Chicago Board of Trade closed the futures trading pits. The options pits are still operating in Chicago, but the futures pits have been uh, shut down 
What has changed, you think, Al, in those five years? Has it been for the better? Oh, yeah, it's definitely for the better. I like the electronic markets, very transparent. Another big change, Mike, when I was at the grain exchange, it was really very nice hours. The grain markets opened at 9.30 and closed at 1.15. Now we've got more of a global type of market where they're open about 17 hours a day. We open usually 7 o'clock Sunday night through Thursday night. We trade until 7.45, you're closed till 8.30, and then you trade again till 1.15. So much more global markets, longer hours, a much more international presence in the market. And they also have a huge increase in the funds trading in the commodity markets. Back in 2005, 2006, commodity Investment funds, portfolio managers started looking at commodities as a way to diversify, and now they've become a major factor. There's a, a lot of days, Mike, where the funds are trading much larger volume of futures contracts than the traditional grain companies or the retail traders. That's a 30,000-foot view of the markets uh, themselves. We want to bring it down to the farmer's level now. This is where your expertise is. Let's talk about how an operation can develop a grain marketing plan. It would be great to outline, if you will, the steps to a successful marketing plan. One of the things I encourage things to do, Mike, and I've taught the Kleist Grain Trading Academy for the last decade, is for people just to write down each week, what is the current value of their inventory? If you've got corn and soybeans as an example, how many bushels do you have in the bin? What is the cash value of that crop? every Friday and kind of keep that in a notebook. I know it might be easier if you're younger to do it in a spreadsheet, but I think just having that in a notebook where you look week by week, what's the total value of that crop? In fact, I would even encourage people to go back to the first week of August of 2020, mm-hmm. write down your 2020 inventory, how many bushels you thought you would have, what the value of the crop was at that time, what is that value now, and then also begin looking ahead towards 2021. How many acres? of corn, soybeans, and wheat you expect to have, what's your anticipated yield, and what's the value of that crop? One of the things you need to do in a marketing plan is change how you think about your crops. Don't think about them like corn and soybeans. Think about it like money. And I have people do this exercise every week while I trade in the trading academy. And one of the guys came up and said, this really helped me. I no longer think about my bends containing corn and soybeans, I think about my bands holding money. And that's really what it is. And so one of the things you want to do in a marketing plan is to look at how to maximize the amount of money you're getting for the crops that you really work very hard to grow. One of the things that you've talked about over the years, Al, I'd like for you to talk about it here. There are different layers of a good grain marketing plan. Obviously, uh, you know, crop insurance is one piece of that, but there are different pieces of a, of a really successful grain marketing plan. And you've written about it a lot. Could you share with us a few of those thoughts? Uh, certainly. I always think about, Mike, trying to get a portion 30 to 50% of the crop forward sold at, during the growing season. So the three-step risk management plan, and I think you can go to the Agriculture Online website. You can go to my Kleist Commodities website. Get some of the archive versions of the newsletter. And the first step is to buy the right RP crop insurance product. And I'm not a crop insurance agent. I don't work for an agency. But because you can guarantee both price and yield, and the fact that it's subsidized makes it a very attractive product for producers to buy. And once you've purchased that crop insurance policy, it gives you what I call a license to sell. So step one is to buy the RP crop insurance. Step two is put price targets in. 
and I generally want to get 30 to 50% of the crop sold ahead during the growing season. Step three, then, is to buy put options on some of the inventory that you're not comfortable hedging or contracting. As you've indicated, I've worked in this field for over 40 years. 40 out of the last 44 years, having crops sold ahead, protected with puts, has been the right financial decision at harvest. And so you have to stay consistent from one year to the next. Approach it like a business. And one of the keys in the marketing plan is to know your cost of production. I encourage farmers to look at this not for their whole farm, but actually field by field, and then establish a marketing plan for it. Another key in the marketing plan is to know when you need the money. Do you need a, a lot of bills due at harvest? Do you have bills due the first of the year? That will affect which contract month you put the hedges into and what your basis expectations are. So the key is to have you know good records, know your costs, know when you need the money, and establishing price targets. I used to make four sales, Mike, when I first started of 20-25%. With extreme volatility that we're seeing in the markets now, I'm actually making 10 sales of 10%, and that way when we get these fund-driven rallies, I always have a few bullets left. I always have a few bushels left to sell. The other piece of advice that I've always heard you talk about is even if you know a farmer can't or doesn't want to watch the markets and just doesn't feel like he or she has the time to do a grain marketing plan, you have always said that somebody within the operation needs to be watching the markets and needs to be creating and developing a marketing plan. And I think the point that I'm trying to make here is if you as a farmer can't do it, you need to find somebody that can. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. A lot of the really good production farmers, people that enjoy going out there, maximizing their yields, are optimists. And sometimes when you're in the grain marketing business, Mike, you have to be a pessimist. You've got to make a selling decision. And quite often, I encourage people to develop a team to where you're not taking on all the risk and the anxiety of making those decisions by yourself. A lot of times, if you've got a son, son-in-law, daughter, daughter-in-law involved, bring them in. Get their input. Build a team. Somebody needs to be able and willing to pull the trigger. And if you're not comfortable doing it, find somebody in your operation that is. Make sure that everybody's informed of where you're at. You know, are you 50% sold? Are you 70% sold? What's your average selling price? Where's your next price target? Is your crop looking good? Did you have a hailstorm? Do you need to back off on the quantities that you're doing? And to me, this is somebody needs to be watching this each day. But the team members really need to be aware you're at on your farm business each week. And certainly the persons that are doing the accounting, paying the bills, also need to be on that team. And I encourage the lender to be on that team. Are you confused by terms that you often hear but don't understand? Mike and Al will go into the basics of some of those when we return. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing. But not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. This would be considered maybe the lightning round here, Al. I'm going to run through a number of different definitions that we always hear in the grain marketing sector. Some folks just don't understand them. We have a wide spectrum of uh, listeners listening to this podcast. 
Some may not know the definitions of these marketing terms, but if you could just hit the highlights of each one. Let's start out with what's a fundamental? A fundamental is looking at the supply of the crop, how much you're going to use, and most importantly, how much is left over. I look at it similar to doing your farm checking account. You always want to know what was the beginning balance. So that would be the beginning inventory of a crop. How much are you putting in? So how many, you know, 15 billion bushels of corn that you're putting into the pile of grain that the U.S. has? How much are you using? That's where you're looking at corn as an example. How much is going for ethanol? How much is going for feed? How much is going for export? And then the very important number is how much is projected to be left over. For several years, from about 2015 through 2019, we just had this huge overhang. Every year we had good crops, demand was not all that super, and we started just building these massive quantities, overhang of grain, so we had very doggy, bearish market. In August, it was an unbelievable flip of the switch. All of a sudden, the U.S. crop size became smaller. China began buying with both hands. Instead of thinking about, oh, man, where are we going to store all this crop? We're now thinking, do we have enough? Could we run out of soybeans? So, so fundamentals is tracking how big the crop is, how much you're using, and how much is going to left over. And right now, the soybean market, as we look ahead the last quarter of 2020, first quarter of 2021, is trying to allocate the limited supply of soybeans that we seem to have, not only in the U.S., but smaller crop projections in South America. So we have to get up to a price level that's high enough that begins to discourage end users from using the product. And that's just a totally different scenario, Mike, than where we were back in August of 2020. The other word that's always thrown around is the word technical, and this is an area that you are really an expert in and really have a lot of interest in. Give us a feel for what do analysts and traders mean when they say that the technical factors are moving the market? Yeah, technical is a look at charts and looking at the history of market movements. And since I've written for successful farming over the last 40 years, I've tried to do a lot of education on charts. One of the things that I've always been aware of is long-term price cycles. It seems like, especially in corn, about every 68 months you'll put in a low. When I study charts, quite often I'm drawing in trend lines. I'm looking at the 10-day and 50-day moving average. I'm looking at previous year's highs and lows, not only the price level you're at, but the date you put in the high and the date you put in the low. And the charts work, technical analysis works, because a lot of people make pricing decisions based off of the chart action that they're seeing. And the uh, two can work together, correct? The fundamentals and technicals can work together. Fundamentals, you know, began turning positive in August. The charts reversed and started trending higher. And as the fundamentals have become more positive, the ending stock projected to be lower. Grain prices have moved higher right through the fourth quarter of 2020. And so far, Mike, you know, the first quarter of 2021. So the two do go hand in hand. Ultimately, fundamentals will determine how high or how low you go. But charts I like using because you can use charts to pick some very specific price targets, some very key weeks to be making sales. I think back in corn market was really in a a very bearish situation for quite a few years and i was amazed in 2014 2015 2016 every year you put the low in for the year on august 31st as a lot of farmers are forced to give up grain on dp contracts delayed price contracts and the grain trade knew that those were coming 
into the market, being forced into the market. And so charts are not only looking at price levels, but identifying key time periods to be making sales and key time periods to be avoiding sales. Two other terms in the market that tend to go together, hedgers and speculators. is a big difference between these two as far as what they mean. Give us the definition of both. A hedger is someone who actually is growing the crop or needs to use the crop. We work with a lot of corn, soybean, and wheat producers. and So they're having to manage the downside risk. They either have the crop in the bin or the crop growing out in the field, and they get a lower commission rate, and generally they're considered to be long in the cash market. They've got inventory, again, either in the bin or in the field, and they need to short and get the product sold ahead and turned into cash. The other type of hedgers we work with are livestock producers or ethanol plants. Their risk is in corn and soybean meal prices going higher. And certainly people that did not have corn and soybean meal hedges in place saw a dramatic rise in the cost of their feed for hogs and for cattle. And so there again, you're trying to control the risk of prices going higher if you're a livestock feeder by being long in the market and trying not to pay the higher prices. There's not usually enough hedgers to create the liquidity you need, so that's where you get the speculators. Uh, Back in the early days, a lot of your speculators were the guys with the colorful coats you saw hanging around the pits in Chicago, Minneapolis, and Kansas City. Now, more and more of the speculators are Wall Street-type firms, investment funds that are using commodities as part of their overall strategy of trying to diversify, and they've become a major participant in them. Generally, speculators, commodity funds tend to be uh, very technical, trend-driven type of things. They are also buyers, momentum buyers, so that as the markets go higher, they buy more, and as markets go lower, they sell more. That sounds kind of counterintuitive. doesn't seem like it would make sense. But with the way funds and speculators tend to invest, you tend to get a lot of people very, very long at the top, very short at the bottom. And that's one of the reasons why we've seen the extreme volatility that we have last several years in the grain markets. We're visiting with Al Kleiss. He's the uh, managing director of Kleiss Commodity Advisors, running through some of the terms in grain marketing that folks hear often but maybe don't understand. And sometimes you have to take a step back and just run through some of these. And it's very helpful for listeners and for people that are either trying to understand grain marketing a little better and maybe even trying to put together that grain marketing plan. The other few terms I'd like to cover include supply and demand. Really, the nuts and the bolts, probably a good way of explaining those two terms as far as their play and role in grain marketing. Supply and demand, we're talking about fundamentals. You know, how big is your crop? Do you have enough uh, to where you're going to be having a lot of excess supply? Think about a few years ago. We actually had you know a lot of corn and even soybeans piled out into the small town elevators. There was not enough room in the bin. And sometimes it happens at harvest, but a lot of these were carried all the way into the next year because we had such burdensome exports, such burdensome supplies, slow exports, and that just hung over the market. So when we talk about the outside market, we talk about funds, we talk about supply, demand, how much you have, how much you're using, and most importantly, how much you're going to have left is a big factor in all of these markets. Again, maybe some basics here, Al, but the various ways that farmers can sell their crops, a lot of people probably don't realize there are about, what, six or seven different ways farmers can actually sell their crops. 
They include futures and cash contracts. And if you could talk about the uh, different ways that farmers can sell their crops and explain a little bit about the futures contracts versus cash contracts. Certainly. One thing you talk about, Mike, is futures. You know, how the Chicago Board of Trade price. What's the price of corn futures in Chicago? And then if you are in southern Minnesota, where I grew up, normally you have a basis. And historically, we were 50 or 60 cents below the Chicago Board of Trade. So that if corn futures were trading at 460, and we had a 60 under basis, our cash price was $4. And quite often when you're making grain marketing decisions, how to sell that crop was driven by your basis. Is Usually when you have a high futures price, you also have a wide basis. So in that case, the right choice to be making is to protect your risk by selling futures contracts and waiting for that basis to improve. Another way to get protection is to use put options, and that's a whole other probably podcast, Mike. Mm-hmm. But there you can buy an option to protect yourself against lower futures prices without making a delivery commitment. So you've got futures contracts. If you have a very attractive basis, somebody really needs to buy your corn, and rather than bidding you 60 under, they bid you 10 under, you can say, okay, I will move my corn 10 cents below the futures market, establish the basis first, and then the futures price later on. If you do get into a basis contract, it's very important that you have a disciplined plan of where you're going to establish the futures price on those contracts, turning that crop into cash. So you've got futures hedges. You have basis contracts. You have cash contracts. Uh, one that some producers use that I do not like, it's bad for the farmer, usually it's bad for the industry, is called the delayed pricing agreement where you haul your grain in, basically turn over title to the grain to the elevator and some date in the future you can go in the elevator and get the check for that grain and get the cash if enough farmers move grain on delayed price agreements it takes away any incentive for the elevator the industry to bid up to get it away so when i look at the different choices you have futures contracts cash sales using options delayed price agreements there's a whole group of decisions that you need to make and a lot of it is dependent on the basis that you have on the crop or on the new crop which of these marketing tools you should be using usually the farmers that i've seen that have struggled with marketing are the ones that will only sell cash grain and they'll only sell what's in the bin and boy there's a lot of times that they leave a lot of money on the table and they can be very frustrated with their marketing and financial results And I might add that at Successful Farming, over the years, we've done uh, surveys of farmers about what type of selling channel do you prefer? And frankly, we have learned that less than half or about half of the farmers use the futures market. And most of them, though, do just like to sell to the uh, local elevator. And it's just what you, you just brought up. Those are the ones that tend to struggle with grain marketing. So the seasonalities of grain marketing. They have changed a lot over your career, I know, but let's talk about what is a seasonality and how we have seen some changes in that part of grain marketing in the last you know, 10, 15, 20 years. The seasonal uh, pattern that I worked with 20 years ago, Mike, was expecting the corn and soybean markets to bottom in October. And at that time, if you go back into the late 1970s, as much as 45% of the soybeans were sold off the combine by farmers during the month of October. 
then once the you know grain trade absorbed all those soybeans, prices would turn and begin to trend higher, and generally it would peak out in June, July, on some type of weather scare, and then you would turn lower again into the harvest lows. A similar pattern for corn. Generally, you would have an October or November harvest low, a lot of grain being forced into the market in a you know 30 or 60 day time window. Once that was all plugged in, once of all that grain was moved, then you would turn higher into May, June, July of the next year, and then turn lower. One thing that's really changed in the last 20 years, and a lot in the last 10 years, is now Brazil and South America in general has become a major export competitor initially in soybeans, but now corn and soybeans. And so the pattern has changed to where we now tend to have two highs during the year, one during the South American growing season, especially if there's any weather problems in Jan Feb, quite often we used to you know, have very quiet, flat markets. That's not the case anymore. I'm actually watching the weather now in January a lot more closely. What's going on in South America and what's going on in Iowa or Minnesota? And so the patterns have changed. We tend to get the lows coming in earlier. Last several years, we put lows in August, September in corn and soybeans. We get a rally up in November, December. If there's a large crop in South America, you get a February, March low, then a secondary high in April or May. And also the highs have tended to come in earlier in the last five years than they did 20 years ago. So as we're seeing the global markets evolve and the increased importance of production coming out of South America, it has changed the seasonal nature of how the grain markets trade. When we come back, Mike and Al will discuss how the USDA plays into grain prices and how you can use their reports to develop a marketing plan. Stay tuned. Jill, why don't you tell the class what you did this weekend? Well, my dad and I went in search of some magical minnows and found a zillion of them in the stream from our lookout rock. Then my sister and I escaped from an evil slug king and went back to my super twig fort for safety. Then we told stories till it got dark and the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. The topic of the USDA reports. Now, some believe that this is a necessary evil in agriculture for farmers. A lot of farmers have complained about the USDA reports over the years for a number of different reasons. But regardless of how you feel about the USDA reports, they still have a, an impact on the markets, right? I'd like to be very clear, Mike, that I'm very supportive of the USDA their track record, their results. Uh, I know that some farmers don't like the USDA. There's certain market advisors that ridicule the USDA. Personally, I have a lot of respect for them. I've been to the USDA lockup. They're scientists, they're mathematicians, and they have a long-term, they have an excellent trade record. And sometimes conditions change from the time they've gathered the data until the report is released. But overall, if you bet against the USDA reports, you are usually going to lose money. The reports do have major impact. Final crop production report, grain stocks report, and how much uh, we're going to have in global supply. So these reports are key. Generally, around the 10th or 12th of each month, you get these major updated crop production supply demand reports and include world numbers. And then quarterly, we get the other reports that indicate 
grain stocks reports, and they have a big impact on the market, especially since August when we saw not only the U.S., but the global numbers begin to change dramatically to where we have much smaller inventories. So you have to be aware and be very alert for marketing opportunities on the days of the USDA crop reports, but most importantly, respect the USDA reports. And generally, when I found people are uh, very upset with the USDA by because they've made some poor marketing decisions and they're looking for somebody to blame it on. USDA stands for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And I want to uh, have you address the fact, Al, that the USDA numbers, although they are produced here in the United States, people around the world follow and track and react to these numbers on a monthly basis. Yeah, it is. The, it sets the standard for grain prices around the world. I think it was in 2008. I was on a tour uh, in January down in Brazil, and I went into a restaurant, pulled up my computer, and uh, one of my friends uh, who spoke fluent Portuguese came in, and we kind of did a impromptu seminar right there. And the people in uh, Brazilian farmers, much like U.S. farmers, very aware of the report dates and the impact that would have on the pricing of their corn and soybeans in Brazil as round as that. So it's it's truly a global marketplace. And when you have a lot of private grain companies putting surveys and information together, and one of the reasons I encourage farmers to provide USDA with accurate information is that it levels the playing field. I want to know from the best source in the world what is projected supply of crops in the world, and that truly the best source is the USDA. And you use this information to put together a grain marketing plan. That is correct, yeah. When you look at the projected ending stocks, I've got some different methods that I can say if ending stocks are X, then that would suggest a price range going up to this level. And so the ending stocks that you have from the USDA reports are something that I encourage people to print out keep in a binder. I know you can go to the website and view them and maybe for some of the younger, more tech farmers are very happy to do that. I like to actually physically have some of those reports in a binder, compare them to the previous year, compare them to the previous five years, compare them to where we were 10 years ago. And it took me, Mike, I'll be very honest, about a good decade to really get a handle on that. So when you're first looking at all these numbers, if you look at them and they seem like you're trying to learn a foreign language, don't give up. Stay at it. Continue to look at and study these uh, numbers. Learning about marketing, creating a marketing plan is not like one and done. It is an ongoing process and certainly being aware of the USD reports, printing them out, looking at the numbers. I used to always wait and get other people's analysis. Quite often, I was confused reading it. I made great strides when I started printing out the reports, doing my own analysis, and keeping track of it in my own way. We're going to move on to uh, what may seem a little political, but it's not. It's reality for farmers. Farm subsidies have underpinned profitability on the farm in this past uh, year, in 2020, and, and maybe even in 2019. But Things going forward could be different as Congress maybe looks at you know not supporting or not having to support farmers with subsidy payments. How does this all go into the mix of putting together a grain marketing plan? We talked early on, Mike, about the importance of RP crop insurance. Hopefully that is not touched. And that's very important for farmers to manage risk, to have a very concise, 
risk management plan and know what their crop insurance price levels are at. Because of the higher prices we're at and the fact that we are hopefully not in another trade war in 2021, a lot of the CFAP payments, a lot of the payments that were made during the trade war with China, I don't think will be available in 2021. And so if I'm booking future revenue, uh, I'm probably not going to have very much showing up. I don't think many farmers anticipated that in 2019 and 20, but in hindsight, thank goodness they were there. For many, many farmers, the government uh, payments that came in were what made the difference between being able to stay in business and not stay in business. Most farmers would prefer to get their income from the grain elevator and not from the USDA checks. Mm -hmm. And I think that like it or not, that's going to be the reality going forward with a new administration and with the new farm policies that are being put in place. Al, let's look forward to uh, 2021 and your market outlook. Let's cut this up a little bit. If we could start with corn first and uh, give us your feel for what your first uh, six months of 2021 might look like. When we look at January 31, that's a prospective acreage report. That's going to be a very key report, again, to watch. Uh, my early indications are that we're going to have about six or eight million acres more in cropland or principal crops in 2021 than we had last year because we're going to have a lot less prevent plant acres. I think that the acreage in 2021 on corn are likely to be about a million acres higher uh, with lower fuel prices, ethanol, profitability has begun to take a hit. And we're looking at a smaller crop, but still a lot of export competition coming out of South America. I think in this uh, currently we're building a lot of bullish news into the corn market for 2021. I'm going to be very disciplined in getting a lot of the remaining cash inventory sold by April or May. I don't plan to have by late June or July any corn left in the bins. If I'm optimistic, I might own some out-of-the-money calls, lottery tickets. Also, I look at the pattern of odd number years. I look at the six-year seasonal pattern, 10-year seasonal pattern, and very consistently, all of my charts that look ahead suggest that we can have an August or September low in the corn markets. So that's why come May, maybe early June, I'm going to have all the cash corn sold. And by May, early June, combination of hedges and or puts, I'm going to have at least 30 or 50% of my new crop priced ahead and protected. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if we have this acreage battle and see if folks chase that soybean market a little bit, as there has been some talk of that. But let's uh, talk about the soybean market in uh, 2021, the first half anyway of the, of the year. What do you see? Um, right now, you know, we've had a lot of fuel put on the fire uh, starting in the third and fourth quarter of 2020 and the first quarter of 2021 with some dry weather down in South America. So we've had a heck of a run. When I look at that January 31st, 2021 acreage report, I look for a, probably at least 6 million acres more soybeans. I would not be surprised if we had as much as 8 million acres more soybeans in 2021 than we had in 2020. And so we really need those beans. But if we get an 8 million acre increase in soybean acreage in 2021 and more of a normal 51 or 52 bushel soybean yield, uh, we're going to have plenty of soybeans by September, October. So there again. I'm looking at using the rally into the first quarter of 2021 to get a lot of the soybeans sold. And if I can get new crop hedges in place, I watched where the November 20 bean contract went off 
and it's right about 1140. So that's been one of the targets that I've had for November 21 beans to fill that November to November continuation gap. And certainly if we get up in the area of $11 or higher, using a combination of hedges and puts, I'm going to have a minimum 30 up to 50% of that new crop protected ahead. Well, there's a lot that goes into following the markets and putting together a successful grain marketing plan. And you have all of the experience and passion for this. And you've been able to combine it all and put it in a little package and create the Kleiss Grain Trading Academy. Let's talk about that, Al, and how people can get involved in that and what is involved and what does the Grain Trading Academy offer? We've been doing this for 10 years now, Mike. I think you took some of the first classes that we had. Uh, It involves learning about charting. We're very passionate about teaching charting. I have people keep the hand-drawn charts, which say plot the high-low close each day and develop a feel for the market. I know it's old school, but, you know, I'm an old grain trader. We also have uh, people looking at charts on computers, and so technical analysis is part of it. We look at how do you study grain fundamentals. Your grain marketing alternatives, one of the classes that have been very popular is to how to run your farm as though it was a grain elevator, trying to make the right merchandising decisions. It's a three-year class, introductory, intermediate, advanced. We're in the midst of doing it right now. We have a really big and diverse uh, year one class. And so for people that want to learn more about it in the futures, you can go to the website, kleisu.com to learn more about the classes and get signed up, get on our list. Uh, We've had great luck with this class. It's been a passion of mine, and we've turned out a lot of people that have through over the last decade really changed the way they approach the grain marketing once they learn more about it. And what's your final piece of advice for farmers that are listening, maybe a a daughter or an in-law that may be listening to this and thinking, you know, I'd sure like to get my family to put together a grain marketing plan. What's your final piece of advice for them to be able to take that next step? Uh, We'll do an initial grain marketing plan at no cost. Uh, You'd have to fill out a two-page form on how many acres you farm, what your cost of production, what your total bushels you expect, what basis level are you looking at, that type of thing. Then based on that, we can put together a first draft of the marketing plan. We'll keep you updated on that plan for 30 days. And so if they want to do that, they can just sign up for a free trial on our website, classcommodities.com, and just check in and say, okay, I would like to take advantage of your market plan. And I like to get people in and have them have a trial run, see if our approach to the market makes sense to them before we start talking about any fees. And what's the best way to get a hold of you? I know there are probably multiple ways. So give us all of the websites and your email addresses or whatever phone numbers you'd like to put out there at this point. Sure. Uh, Toll free, 888-345-2855. Just give us a call at that number. We always have people answering the phone. Uh, If you'd like to more comfortable going to the website, just Google Kleist Commodities. Uh, We have a very robust website that you can go to or just Google Al Kleist, A-L-K-L-U-I-S. That'll take you to my website, and on there you can email info at kleisscommodities.com, and we have a very good method of getting back to people in in a very disciplined way. We won't bug you, uh, but we will make sure that you're getting the information, the educational tools that you need from our company. Al, great information. We appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Let's talk again. Thanks, Al Kleiss, Managing Director of Kleiss Commodity Advisors, for being our guest, and Mike McGinnis for hosting. And thank you for listening. For Successful Farming, I'm Jody Henke.